How many knows Jesus is coming back soon? Absolutely coming back soon. It could be before this service ends. It's that soon. It could be while I'm standing here talking in my Johnny Cash outfit that I could be caught up just like all of us. You know, when you see a for sale sign in the front of a house in your neighborhood, what does that tell you? Yeah, they're getting ready to sell the house because they're going to move, huh? Now, when you see a U-Haul backed up in the driveway and boxes that are stacked up in the garage, what does that tell you? They are getting ready to move, not just soon, but like that day, right? It's imminent. So those are signs that your neighbor of this upcoming event, it's obvious, it's undeniable. And in the same way, our world today, what's going on is that there's undeniable and abundant signs of an impending, imminent return of Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And I believe it's very, very soon. I want to read to you in Luke chapter 21 a scripture that is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the folks listening, and he's talking about end time signs, what have you. And he says this starting in verse 29. He says, look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so... When you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation, say this generation, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying to the folks there, listen, all this other stuff may change, but what I'm saying here today, what I'm telling you right now, it's for sure. It's going to happen. Now, if you read in this chapter, you have to understand what he's saying here. He says, look at the fig tree. Now, what's the fig tree symbolic of? It's always symbolic of, in, in the Bible, of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And once, and if you look at the history of, of, of Jerusalem and of Israel and the people of God, by the way, all of history revolves around not the United States, <laughs> not anywhere else in the world. As far as God's concerned, the epicenter of everything is Israel and then more specifically Jerusalem. So you got to pay attention to what's going on there, not so much what's going on here. But if you look and read the Old Testament, you'll see that the nation of Israel was miraculously birthed and then it was also ceased to exist. And some 2,000 years passed, not quite, but just a little less than 2,000 years passed, and miraculously, against all odds and with much opposition, in May of 1948, the nation of Israel was birthed, rebirthed, came into existence again after almost 2,000 years. As far as biblical prophecies go, it is what is called the super sign, because when the fig tree again sprouts its leaves, which is the nation of Israel being rebirthed after almost 2,000 years of dormancy, this started the prophetic clock ticking towards the final end times of prophecies being fulfilled. This was some 75 years ago that this took place, that this nation was rebirthed. 
And when you see these prophecies being fulfilled, what it's going to do is it's going to culminate in this order, the rapture of the church, then the seven-year tribulation, and then this millennial reign, thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, where at the end of it, he's going to have an eternal reign and rule. Jesus Christ is going to reign and rule in a perfectly righteous, wonderful, holy place, and he's actually going to be creating a new heaven and a new earth, where Satan and all of evil will once and for all be defeated. I'm looking forward to seeing that happen. Think about a place where there's no more evil, no more death, no more of this vile stuff that's going on in the world today. It's going to cease to exist. It's going to be like it was in the Garden of Eden. What was will be again. And righteousness and holiness will reign supreme under the leadership, the eternal leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, we see the boxes stacking up in the garage, don't we? The U-Haul is in the driveway, in fact. It's not just that it's the for, for sale sign up. There is, there's a pile of boxes. The U-Haul is there, and moving day is just around the corner. And as we just read, this generation will not pass, will not pass until these things take place. What's a generation? 70 to 80 years, some would say. Well, if we're at 75 years right in the middle of the rebirth, then we have just a short time to go, if that's what that means. All I know is that it's soon. So what are some of these boxes? I want us to look this morning at some things. Now, I could go here all day long. You know me, but I won't. And I could cover a lot of things. I could do a series here. But I'm just going to hit on some stuff, some that are more obvious and some that maybe seem a little more peculiar that I want to point out to you this morning as we look at some of these boxes and the current state of where we are in our prophetic timeline. The first one that I want to look at this morning is this. And if you're taking notes, this is what you're going to write down. It'll probably be on the screen here. It's the coalition against Israel. Now, for the first time in history, in all of history, Iran, Turkey, and Russia are now allied together. You think, well, so what? Why is that important? Well, it's very important because the Bible says in Ezekiel that these nations, along with a few others are going to be added to the mix, will amass along the northern border of Israel and wage war against God's chosen people. We know this as the Ezekiel 38 war. It's a prophetic war that has yet uh, to happen but I believe will happen very soon. So think about this. Ezekiel prophesied some 2,500 years ago that this would take place. And we're seeing it happen right now just as the Holy Spirit through Ezekiel said it would happen because God knows the end from the beginning. Not the beginning to the end, but he knows that too, but he knows the end from the beginning. So he just said, Ezekiel, write this down because this is gonna happen in the last days where this coalition is gonna take place that has never been before. Weaponry and troops from these hostile countries are at a moment, at this very moment, being amassed along the northern border of Israel, just waiting for the right moment to attack. Just as the Bible said would happen. Ezekiel 38, verses 15 through 16, describes it this way. It says, you will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you. Now, this is speaking specifically to Gog, which is the nation of Russia. So, if you look at the map and draw an arrow directly from Israel, due north, you're going to hit the nation of Russia. You and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You'll advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In the days to come, Gog, which is Russia, 
I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Uh, I can go into this a lot, but I won't. This is a different for a different time, but just so you'll know that Russia and the rest of these people, the rest of these nations absolutely hates Israel. That's a satanic thing. It's, you could just see it happening. Ezekiel goes on, by the way, to describe in, in, the, in, in preceding, in, in the following verses and chapter of the outcome of this war, by the way, you think, wow, little old Israel, no bigger than the uh, state of New Jersey, is going to be uh, attacked on all sides from these powerful you know, entities, <laughs> but God doesn't care about all of that. Uh, what's a little old bomb to him, right? Nothing, right? Because God's getting inter- intervened with floods and earthquakes and plagues and burning sulfur, whatever that looks like, against these enemies, and he's going to completely annihilate them because he's going to take care of his chosen people. Amen? So there's debate as to when this war is going to occur, either before the rapture or after the rapture. I've got my thoughts on that, but we'll just leave it to that. But I do know this, that the boxes are stacked in the garage and the stage is set, and it is an imminent war. That war will take place. So again, keep in mind, these countries have never been allies, ever. Never in all of history. In fact, they really have never liked each other up until recently. But because of their common hatred for Israel and because Satan is actually using them, they're allies today with one common goal, and that's to obliterate the much-despised Israel. It's satanic at its core, and Satan will not succeed. But this war is key, and the defeat of these nations are important in giving the Antichrist, which will come out of the European Union, the, the, the newly revived Roman Empire, the opening that he needs to step in and negotiate peace with Israel. And you'll see this seven-year, uh, the Bible talks about a seven-year peace treaty, that's going to be signed by the Antichrist with Israel. And by the way, that peace treaty is going to be a farce. It's going to be a sham because the Antichrist will renege on his agreement some three and a half years later. Again, this is all what the Bible says. This is not me saying what I think. He's going to renege on it about three and a half years into it. But this war has to happen, the Ezekiel 38 war, to set the prophecies in motion just as the Bible says it will. So that's a box. It's a pretty big box. Just, I think the main thing I want you to realize is that these nations have never been allies before, and in the first time in history, here it is. Let's talk about this another box. This is kind of a, several boxes here. The rapid moral decline of not just the United States, but the entire world. Just as the Bible said it would happen. I wanted to read to you a couple of newspaper headlines that were written some 2,000 years ago. We know it as 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. That's the first one. It says, but mark this, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, you may read that list and say, well, that's kind of always been that way, hasn't it? The answer is yes, absolutely, but it's in spades. It's maxed out. It's peaked in every possible category. You see more of this happening now than ever before. Let's go on. 
because I want to read to you another headline that was written some 2,000 years ago. And I want you to look at this one found in Romans chapter 1. I've read this before. I want to read it again. I was debating on whether to just kind of touch on it and say, hey, read it later. But I feel like God's word needs to be read out loud so that we can be reminded of what's going on and, and, and line up the events uh, of what's going on in our world today to say, wait a minute, God's word says said that that was going to happen, and I'm reading it right now that it's absolutely taking place. So again, this was written in Romans, uh, to the Romans, I should say, chapter 1. And I want you to look at how, how the progression of sin takes place in these verses, starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Is God pretty plainly, obviously, out there? I mean, you just look around at nature. God is there, right? You look at all of creation. If you just, it's, it's not hard to deny the existence of God. You, in fact, I think you've got to work a lot harder to deny his existence. You have to have, to have a lot more faith to not believe that there's a God than to believe that there is. For since the creation of the, world's God, from, of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For though, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here begins the progression into sin and rejecting God. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to, sexually, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Know this, God places in each one of us a will. He's not going to force himself on us we're not puppets, we're not robots. He's made us to have a will so that we can choose ye this day whom we will serve. He doesn't need, he doesn't want to force you to serve him, to love him, to honor him. He wants to make sure and know that it's from your heart because you want to. So that's what this is talking about. So he gave them over to sinful desires. They exchanged the truth of about God for a lie, and worshiped, and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over. Here it is again. It's a progression of him giving them over slowly to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, and in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. You hear people say that there's no scripture that says that homosexuality is wrong and sinful. There's several, in fact, and here's one of them. I just read it. Absolutely, it's a sin. It's not okay. God doesn't honor it. And what he's doing is he's actually giving people over to that. You want to do it? Do it and see what happens. And listen to this. This is what happens. Furthermore, let's see, men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, here's the progression again, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing 
evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Listen to me, church. That's not just happening outside of the church. That is happening inside of the church, and we need to guard our hearts today. It is not okay to be this and say that I am a Christian because those are diametrically opposed to each other. Having a relationship with Jesus will keep you from having these sort of things going on in your life. But if we just say it with our mouths, but we're not living it out and believing it in our hearts, then we're just fooling ourselves. We need to look at this that the Bible is saying and say, what is it in here that I'm doing? And Lord, I repent of it today. I'm going to turn from that evil, wicked way, and I'm going to embrace the things that are holy and righteous and pure in you. Because when Jesus comes back for his bride, he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. Although they know God's righteous decree. See, many in the church know God's righteous decree. That those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also, hey, approve the others who do them. Good job. We cheer you on. Do we see that happening all across the world today? You bet we do. But this was written some 2,000 years ago. It's like reading the newspaper, isn't it? Let's look at a few things. The Bible was taken out of schools in the year that I was born in 1962. By the way, the Bible had been in schools in the United States up to that point. From even before the founding of the United States, when schools were established here, the Bible was the handbook. It was the school book. It was like one of the things. You have reading, writing, and arithmetic, and the Bible. Did you know that? Yeah. Young people, did you know that the Bible was one of the, was one of the part of the curriculum of the school? Every day, they opened up in prayer, and they read the Bible, and they studied the Bible. It wasn't just, hey, let's read a scripture, and then let's move on. I mean, they had like a, a class that was the Bible. But it was taken out of schools in 1962. And we see now through the progression of evil over these short years, it's now okay. It's not okay to have a Bible, but it is okay to have pornographic books in school libraries. I mean, there's a fight going on right now for that. So no to holy Bibles, but yes to sick and sexually perverse books in our schools. Who would have ever thought? But it's happening. It's, in, it's really, that's a nasty old box in the garage, by the way, isn't it? Prayer was taken out of schools at the same time, roughly about that same time. And it was replaced with, I, I, love, I, I think this is hilarious, it was replaced with a moment of silence. That is the biggest farce. I'm sure Satan just loves that. Shh, don't say anything. Because see, Satan knows that there's power in prayer. And so if he can just give you a moment of silence, so we're kind of somehow giving some sort of credence to it, like, well, okay, we're not going to have prayer. We're just going to be quiet for 30 seconds. Awkward 30 seconds, by the way. Awkward. Have you ever just sat there in one of those moments of silence for about a minute? It seems like an, an eternity. Wouldn't it have been better for someone to just say, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessing. See, Satan doesn't want that. And so we got this moment of silence. Folks, don't ever have a moment of silence. When you have an opportunity to pray, pray. Pray to God. Pray out loud. Rejoice in Him. Worship Him. Honor Him. Declare His power, His authority, His word over every situation in your life. No more moments of silence. Amen? And so we now see that through the progression of time, not only 
can we not pray? And we have these moments of silence. Now we can celebrate Satan with Satan clubs in schools. Did you know that? Oh, man, yeah, we're going to just, it's going to be fun. They, they, they just pose it as a fun little thing. No, no to God, yes to Satan. In a short period of time, we've seen this flip. It's another nasty box in the garage. In 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States redefined the definition of marriage. It's no longer between one man and one woman as the Bible describes and defines and how God created us to be. It's now pretty much anything goes. It's another nasty box in the garage. By the way, regardless of what any court or society or generation does to redefine marriage, God's definition has never changed and God's definition will never change. It's one man, it's one woman till death do us part. That's God's plan. That's God's design. When, I'll say it even further. When man's laws contradict God's laws, God's laws always supersede. You hear me today? Oh, but that's the law of the land. But I'm in this world, not of it. And we as a church are in this world, not of it. And I'll say this, that God's laws are eternal. What is it just, what did I just read? Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. So I'm going to stand on what God's word says that it's, that's eternal and not the latest whim and the politically correct thing and the latest evil perverted onslaught that's out there in this world today, man. All you need to do, by the way, is look at song titles. I don't know if you've been around long enough to know. I kind of love, I'm a music guy from way back. And some of these song titles, if you're into movies, some of the movie contents over the decades... Some of the TV show premises over the last decades, think about the 1950s and the 1960s compared to some of the ones in the 1970s and beyond. You see this progression over the decades of sin in our society and the world because these songs, these TV shows, these movies are really a reflection of what's going on in our society. Each decade, the lyrics, the subject matter, the storylines got more vile, less wholesome. They got more corrupt and less innocent. They got more hateful and less kind, more evil and less pure. And now it's just like that frog boiling in the pot. It's just slowly turned up and we're getting boiled to death. And we think as, 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 in this generation, we think, oh, that's just normal. It's all right to just, you know, watch these movies that have all this nasty stuff and evil stuff. By the way, with Halloween coming up, I'm starting to see advertisements for these awful movies that are, taking, that are getting ready to come out in theaters. It's not okay to watch that stuff. Please stop exposing yourself to things like that. Guard your heart. In every way, guard your heart. That rap music that has all that nasty lyrics in it, guard your heart. It's not, just because everybody's listening to it doesn't mean you have to. Just because it's the best film in the, you know, number one film in the, in, in the world this week doesn't mean you need to go and watch it. Stop exposing yourself to things like that because you've got to guard your heart. And by the way, what was once unthinkable and unacceptable but was even celebrated just a couple of months ago at the Grammys on CBS you know, it's a major network. It wasn't just some out-of-the-way place there. For the world to see, one of today's more popular singers, he was dressed up like the devil, and he was writhing around with demon dancers all around him, dressed up in the same way, and they were singing a song that was glorifying Satan. Right there on the Grammys. Much to the excitement, by the way, and approval of the audience, with shouts announcing the song coming up, let's get ready to worship. Is that normal? Is that acceptable? Is that something that God says, yeah, man? No. We 
are seeing the boxes stacked up in the garage, and evil is right there in front of us. Our society has moved from worshiping God to worshiping Satan in one short generation. It's another of the many boxes that are being stacked in the garage. We've gone from holding hands and a good night kiss being as far as that you would go while on a date, to now it's, hey, let's live together and have children without ever seeing the need to say, I do, before God in the holy covenant of marriage. I can go into that one, but I won't. Let's add that to the box. Gender bending and redefining of sexes is the newest salvo. It's attacking the most basic and fundamental, and by the way, scientifically irrefutable aspects of our human bodies. No matter what our current culture espouses, congregation, listen to me, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, there's only two genders. Two. There's male and female. God made you with all the parts that he's chosen for you, and he makes no mistakes. Your DNA says that you're either XX or you're XY. XX is a female, XY is a male. Check it out. Go take a test. I bet you're going to be one or the other. And by the way, no surgery that you have performed on you, no outfit that you wear, no hormone treatment that you ingest into your body, or no declaration that you may make from some social media or some other sort of public thing will ever change the fact that you're either a male or a female. I don't really ever... <laughs> I, I just don't see... I mean, Kelly and I, we live in a place where we see deer every once in a while walking by and bunny rabbits and birds, and I just never see them have a problem with this. They're a male or they're a female. It's just, you know, I don't know what I am today. Yeah, they know exactly what they are, okay? And all of this is being crammed down the throats of the most innocent and vulnerable of our society, our children. Church, let me just say to you today, listen to me clearly, listen up. Listen, don't fall for this lie. Don't embrace the agenda that the world is trying to cram down our throats. It's satanic, it's perverted, and it's anti-Christ. Add that box to the others. Listen to this. Since 1973, there have been over 63 million documented abortions in America, those that we know about. And I was trying to figure out how to put this in perspective, and I want you to listen to this. I want you to add up the current populations of the following states. Wyoming, Vermont, Alaska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Delaware, Montana, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, Hawaii, West Virginia, Idaho, New Mexico, Kansas, Mississippi, Arkansas, Nevada, Iowa, Utah, Connecticut, Oklahoma, Oregon, Kentucky, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, Minnesota, and Colorado. If you were keeping track, that's 29 of our 50 states. If you add the sum total population, the current population of all of those states right now, you're going to get how many innocent babies have been murdered in our country in the last 50 years. How does that for putting things in perspective? All of these boxes are signs and are pure evil, and they're from the pit of hell. Satan steals, he kills, he destroys. And he's pulling out all the stops as he sees his time is drawing to a close. So how about another box? Let's pivot here. 
We see right now the formulation of a one-world government and monetary system taking place. I'm going to just touch on this for just a moment. The Bible says in Revelation that there's going to be a one-world government led by the Antichrist, and there's also going to be a one-world monetary system set up by the Antichrist where everyone's going to be required to function in it or they will die. You will not be able to buy or sell without a mark on your hand or your forehead, and when that sign is received... It'll indicate that person's pledge to the Antichrist. And if you're by chance listening to this message or you end up not making it through the rapture and you get thrust into this tribulation time, I'll just say this. I have to. Whatever choice you make, do not take the mark because that, there's no turning back when you do that. You have sealed your doom for eternity in hell. Do not take the mark. You are then pledging your loyalty to the Antichrist when you do. It may be tempting because you say, but I want to eat. I need to feed my children. I, I need to take care of, you know, things. I'd rather starve to death for however many days it takes than to spend an eternity in hell. How about you? So please don't take the mark. And by the way, we see this system being set up right now. It's right before our eyes. And every nation, governments all across the globe, are in the process of fine-tuning, and they're rolling out digital monetary systems. If you read the headlines, just read anywhere. It's there. That will eventually be linked together into a cashless, universal system of buying and selling. Now, if you were someone who lived centuries ago, and you were to read the book of Revelation, you think, well, how in the world could that be? They couldn't imagine how it could be so, but today we see it being prepped and being rolled out right before our eyes. It's not only possible, church, it's inevitable. It's going to happen because the Bible says so. It's another box in the garage. Moving day church is just around the corner. Here's another one. Here's a couple of interesting ones. Uh, first one, artificial intelligence. Now, that's an interesting one here because you think, well, what's up with that? The advent of quick, and there's a quick maturation of artificial intelligence is taking place in the last, actually several months, we're starting to see it more, more prominent in the headlines and reading about it. These past few months have taken the world by storm, this artificial intelligence. What's going on with that? In fact, if you read, there's a lot of fear that we're not going to be able to tell the real from the artificial before too much longer. We're going to be watching something on TV or on a video online or whatever, and that they're going to look absolutely real, but they're not going to be real. They're going to be created by someone who is creating it to have their particular agenda uh, subtly be realized. And really what this is doing, it's setting up an unprecedented time in, in, in human history where the machines created by humans could potentially control the humans who created them. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if AI wasn't used in some high, highly deceptive way to influence and manipulate mankind during the tribulation. And I'll just put this out there. We're not going to be here to see it, but could it possibly be that the Antichrist is actually some sort of AI-generated entity so that it's so persuasive that it could deceive even the very elect, as the Bible describes? I don't know, but we have to be careful. It's another moving box that has been newly revealed, and I believe it's going to be part of what will be used by Satan to further his plans of world domination. Now, here's one that I probably have never preached on, and I'm not sure I'll ever preach on it again, but can I just say the word aliens? Aliens. 
Pastor preached on aliens this past Sunday. It's another interesting box, believe it or not. There's a lot of heightened discussion on aliens lately. Have you noticed? Now, I've seen some pretty hokey B-movies from back in the day, 1950s, where, you know, some guy wearing some aluminum outfit comes out of a little saucer, and he's a little green guy, and he's like, you know, take me to your leader. And you think, that's an alien. Right? We laugh at that. But talk of aliens and UFOs are at an all-time high. Why? Why? Even to the point, by the way, of, of being given validation with congressional hearings. Well, yes, I believe there are. I mean, it's, it's official. It's official now. There's video clips. There's, uh, uh, you know, people that have witnessed it, eyewitnesses. These top military brass are saying things like, we are not alone. And I agree that we're not alone, by the way. Absolutely that we're not alone. But I don't believe that they're cute little green men saying, E.T. phone home. They're not, they're, just, they're not there. That's not these cute little things out there. They're not cute at all. Let me tell you what the Bible says about it in Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, I am convinced that Satan, who is the master of disguise and the master of deceit, just like he did in the Garden of Eden and what he's done throughout the history of man, is behind all of these UFO sightings and all of this stuff that's going on that people can't explain. It's a setup. And he's going to use it to explain away the sudden disappearance of countless people from all over the world. From every nation, tribe, and race, young and old, all of a sudden they disappear. And someone's going to stand up and say, it was the aliens. I told you they were around. And people are going to go, oh yeah, aliens, that's got to be it. And move on. Those who know their Bible will understand what took place. That immediate disappearance from all these people with no rhyme or reason... They're going to understand it as the rapture. Those who don't will believe the lies of the government leaders that aliens have taken these people away. It's just another box that's been given great attention lately. And I think that this is the reason why, because we're getting ready to see a great disappearance. And I, I can't think of another valid reason that people would give as leaders to say, other than it's just a bunch of aliens that just snatched us away. As Jesus was taking the time uh, he was talking about the times right before his return with, the, with those that were listening. He warned those who had ears to hear in Matthew 24, 4. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. And also Peter gives us a stern warning in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there's a deception and a devouring that's taking place, I believe, in our generation. Satan is the master deceiver. He's the devourer. He's the deceiver. He did it in the garden, and he's been perfecting it ever since. And church, listen to me, it's so very important. In fact, it's got to be a priority in our lives that we shun evil and cling to what is good, especially as we see this day approaching. Isaiah warns us to be careful not to embrace all of these evil things. In Isaiah 5.20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what's happening right now in our world today. And the Bible, the Holy Spirit is saying through Isaiah, woe to you. Don't embrace those things. Don't embrace those things. God's wrath, church, is getting ready to be poured out on a rebellious and sinful world who call evil good and good evil. Let's not be those people, amen? Right is right. You've heard me say this before. You might even want to say it with me. Right is right even if no one is doing it. And wrong is wrong even if everyone is doing it. I'm going to say that again. Right is right even if no one is doing it. And wrong is wrong even if everyone is doing it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my friends are doing. I don't care what society says is right. I'm going to stand on what God's Word says. And I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Amen? There's also this villainization of Christianity that's taking place. And it's been ongoing over the last 2,000 years, but it's really ramping up. As we see evil expanding, we also see the rejection, the attack, and the vilifying of traditional Judeo-Christian values. That's another box in the garage. Christians are being labeled as enemies. They're being arrested and fined and imprisoned and martyred all across the world today. Even here in the United States, the opposition is getting bolder and more pronounced as people that are trying to stand up for what is right are being arrested and shut down and different things. Declaring God's word and absolute holy and righteous values have been the cornerstone of our country for centuries. But now it's being labeled as hate speech. The intolerant evil masses towards Christians who embrace these perverted beliefs and lifestyles are now labeling Christians as intolerant because of our voice speaking the eternal truths of God's holy word. But church, we will not be silenced. Amen? You see, those intolerant people are preaching a truth, but church, we are preaching the truth. God's word is trying to be marginalized and shut down, but I got news for you today, and I got news for Satan. It's not going to succeed. It's been tried before over the centuries, and every attempt has failed. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and this is what we can stand on, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It doesn't say the gospel is going to be shut down. It's going to be replaced with another gospel. It's not going to succeed. Jesus himself said this gospel will be preached. So no matter what Satan tries to do to come against it, his word will prevail. Amen? Heaven and earth is going to pass away. And all attempts to stop God's plan or silence His word will fail because God's words will remain and will prevail. You can't fight against God and win. You can't fight against God and win, church. Just read Revelation and you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus is going to try to fight against God and He's going to miserably fail. So what must we do in all this? Now that we see the condition of the world, and by the way, this is not throw the world under the bus day. It's just showing us where we are in our society at this particular time in prophetic history. And I can go, like I said, on and on with the different things that are going on, but those are some highlights to bring some reality and actually to bring us to where I believe the Lord would want us to kind of sit here for the next few minutes. And if you're taking notes, or you're not taking notes, now would be the time. 
So what must we do with all this? What must we do? Well, first we need to be sober and aware and alert and careful, just as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We need to stay focused on our relationship with Jesus. We need to prioritize Him above all other things in our life. Keep your oil in reserve, as Jesus was talking about that, the parables, you know, the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. As the bridegroom comes, and the five that didn't have the oil in reserve were out looking for some, while the five that did were ready to go into the bride's chambers, into the rejoicing. We need to keep our oil in reserve, church, because he could come back at any moment. But beyond that, I don't know if maybe you're like this, but I do. I wonder, what is God waiting for? You ever wonder that? What is he waiting for? I got an answer to that this morning. So if all of this is getting so bad out there, why doesn't he just send Jesus back and get us right now? Wouldn't that be great? Well, here's why. Because God is all about numbers and measures. Numbers and measures. You see, the Bible says that God names all the stars. Did you know that all the stars that you can see and those you can't, there's a name for them, he's named them? Yeah, the Bible says so. Did you know that God has numbered every hair on your head? Every single one of them is numbered. Did you know that all of creation is accounted for? Everything that God's created in all of the universe, he's aware of, he's accounted for it. Like he's, he's the best bookkeeper accountant that the universe has ever seen. He doesn't let a thing slip by him. Oh, we're missing, where'd that penny go? He knows exactly where it went, right? The Bible says that he, he even knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. I mean, think about the entire universe and all of creation, and he's very aware of when that sparrow falls to the ground. He keeps account of all of it. You know, the Bible says that he rolls out the heavens and he measures them. Can you just picture, picture him pulling out this unbelievably awesome measuring tape, I guess? And just go and run that thing that way. Okay, it's exactly, he measures it. He rolls it out and he measures the heavens. He even knows how many grains of sand there are in the world. You ever been to, to the beach and seen those grains of sand? I mean, they're just so tiny. He knows exactly how many there are in the entire world. Nothing escapes his knowledge or awareness. So in the same way, God also measures out his judgments. And his judgments are always balanced with his divine patience. And that's what we're seeing right now that's going on. There's a judgment that's going to take place. But there's also a patience that we're watching him exercise and act out. This is some examples in the Bible, a couple of them. Abraham, if you remember, negotiated with God to rescue however many righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, there was, a, there was a judgment there, but there was a patience as well. The plagues against Pharaoh, when the children of Israel were enslaved. If you read the plagues, they were increasingly more punishing, giving Pharaoh the chance after chance after chance to repent and release the Jews from slavery. He finally did once his son was killed, yeah. Progressively, though, we see the judgment, but also we see the patience of God, okay? 
Time and time again, God's patience held back his judgment. Hear me today, church. God's judgment is certain. But his rescue is available. In Babylon, King Belshazzar's sins finally reached a tipping point. And then God sent Daniel to interpret the dream that the king had. Listen to this in Daniel 5, verse 25 through 28. He says, this is Daniel speaking to the king. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tickle parson. Here's what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tickle. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You read the rest of that story and you see that's exactly what happened. In fact, he died that day. God had had enough. That was it. God's numbers and measures indicated that it was time for judgment to be meted out on the king. Church, there's going to be another day just like that one. However, this particular day is not going to impact just one man. But it's going to impact the entire world, all of humanity. As this king's days were numbered and his measurement left wanting, there is coming a day when the scales will finally tip and the world's number will be up. Right now, the church, the bride of Christ, we stand as Abraham and Moses and other representatives of God's mercy and good news in this generation to a world in need of repentance. And, you know, in one breath, as I said a moment ago, why doesn't God just send his son? Why doesn't God just bring, tell Jesus, go get your bride? You see, there's this sense of, and we hear this a lot, we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Don't we cry out for that? But at the same time, can I encourage you to also cry out while you're crying out, even so come, Lord Jesus. Can I also encourage you to cry out, but also, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Even so, come Lord Jesus, but in the meantime, here I am, send me. You can do both. It's not either or. We long and wrestle as Paul did to be present with the Lord. And as Paul also wrestled to finish the work that he had set out for him to do, we wrestle with that as well in our lives. But church, there will be a day and it won't be a day like any other day. And Jesus will come. And he will take us home to be with him forever. Second Thessalonians 2 verses 6 through 8 says, And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Let me just unpack that for a second. What does this holding him back mean? You know, we, we say it's the Holy Spirit and it's true, but let me just peel that back even a little more thoroughly because if you read in Revelation, actually the Holy Spirit is still working on the earth to minister the gospel, to protect the Jews and walk with them through things. So the Holy Spirit is still going to be present on the earth. But right now the Holy Spirit is working through the church and we are the entity for the gospel. We are the ones that are called 
to represent Christ to a lost and dying world. So if you read this with that understanding of what's taking place in Revelation, the one that is holding him back is actually we, the church, as the Holy Spirit's working through us, is the one holding back who? The Antichrist. The power of the lawless one is already at work. The spirit of Antichrist is still, is actually at work in the world today. But once the church is removed and the Holy Spirit is removed from this earth as far as the influence through us, it's going to give the opening for the Antichrist to do what he wants to do. Once the church is removed, God's judgment will begin on this earth. Judgment and patience are taking place right now. We're seeing the tension between the two. We're seeing the balance between the two going on in this world today. God's patience, but his judgment. God's patience, but his judgment. And we're seeing things happen in the world today. It's the birthing pains. It's the contractions. It's the, it's the precursors to what is getting ready to happen in, in unbelievable ways. We read all about it in the book of Revelation. We see 21 seals, judgments, and bowls that are going to be poured out, raining down on an unrepentant world with varying measures of intensity as God's righteous wrath of judgment is poured out on sinful humanity. Now, why is God so angry? He's not. A wrath is not an anger. A wrath is simply His holiness mixed with the mankind's sin, unrepentant sin. His holiness mixed together with Unrepentant sin produces the wrath of God. It's just, it's purging, it's purifying, it's punishing, absolutely. God help us to be the church that he's called us to be. And as he's exemplifying patience, know that the tipping point is just right there and his wrath is getting ready. His judgment is getting ready to be poured out on this world. So what must we do? What must we do? First, if we're to live a life pleasing to God, God instructs us in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So again, if God is all about numbers and measurements, then so should we. We're to number our days as we read in here. What does that mean? It means, it means numbering our days is a heartfelt and sobering plea from God's Word, from the Holy Spirit, to us that we should use each day wisely for God's glory. Number our days. Let's not waste them on things that won't matter. Let's not waste them on things that won't last. Let's spend them investing in the things that are eternal. Amen? Let our desire be to stand before God one day unashamed. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined once to die and after that to face the judgment, I want Jesus to stay. I want to stand before God one day and I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, I want to be able to stand before him with my pants pockets pulled out, nothing in them because I've used it all for God's glory. I've held nothing back. I've spent it all on you, Lord Jesus. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God wants us to number our days and he expects us to measure our ways. I'll say that again. God wants us to number our days and he expects us to measure our ways. If God is all about numbers and measurements, so should we. 
There's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. It says this, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. In other words, as we stand before the Lord one day, I would rather God say, you judged yourself well in the measurements of what you did on the earth, and there's very little that I have to say about what you should have done differently. That's really what this is saying, that we use the wisdom now to measure our ways on this earth for the glory of God so that we don't have to stand before God one day and Him point it out to us how we could have done better. Measure our ways. The moving boxes are stacked pretty high in the garage. And the Holy Spirit can help us to judge ourselves so that we can one day stand before Christ worthy. God is all about numbers and measures, and so should we be. So let's be, let's be wise. Let's be wise to number our days. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. He can help us. And measure our ways in the time that God has given us because church, Jesus, is coming back soon. What we see in the world today is the moving boxes stacked up in the garage. We see the U-Haul in the driveway. We see the warning signs for those who have ears to hear, for those who have eyes to see. Moving day is imminent. The impending judgment of God is getting ready to happen. His patience will, will finally cease and his judgment will begin. There's coming a day soon where it's going to be the day. His measuring lines will have found the world wanting and the bowl of his wrath will finally be filled to a tipping point and be poured out upon the world. Matthew 24, 21 says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled, from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be equaled again. In other words, the world has never seen anything like it. And his desire is that not any would perish. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. There it is again. He's patient. Right now, he's exemplifying patience with all of us. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I'm so thankful today that God is being patient with us, aren't you? And I'm so thankful that today we have another opportunity as he calls us to repent and to be rescued from this that's getting ready to take place. How? How can we get rescued? This is what it says in Romans 10, verses 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's pretty simple. Not forced on anybody. It's a choice that we all make. Church, moving day is almost here. Let's all make sure that our bags are packed and we're ready to go. Number your days. Measure your ways. All for the glory of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Bow your heads. Those that are watching from home today, would you please do the same? Lay aside every distraction. Give us a few more moments here. We're getting ready to dismiss. Lord, you've shown up in this place. 
in such a wonderful way. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we had to worship you and pray for one another, to be reminded of what's going on in this world today and what we must do about it, to number our days, measure our ways, as you are all about numbers and measurements. Father, we realize right now that you're being patient, that, that no one would be lost, that all would come to a place of salvation and repentance. Lord, we also recognize that one day your judgment's going to be poured out. It's going to be a day like no other day. Lord, I pray that nobody in this room would experience no one that's listening online today would experience the things that take place after the rapture. For your wrath will be poured out in a way that has never been experienced nor never will be experienced again on this earth as the sins and the evil and the rejection will all be collected together and your holiness will be poured into that bowl and mixed together will create a wrath you're not an angry God you're a loving God you loved us so much you sent us your son Jesus Christ so that we could be not only rescued from that that's getting ready to take place but also have life and have it to the full from today until the day we breathe our last or you take us home you want relationship with us and it's through Christ that we can have that relationship so we just read Jesus that if we confess you as the son of God and we believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead and we'll be saved it's just simply an act of faith it's, it's asking you to forgive us of our sins and come live in our heart and be the Lord of our life and Savior and Lord walk with us oh to have a relationship with you there's nothing like it to experience your presence in our lives to, to know that you're walking with us through every season every difficulty every joy, every struggle, you're there. Thank you, Lord. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You're there with us. Even to the end of the age, your word says. Thank you for that. Lord, I want that all of us would have that. You want that all of us would experience that. And today, before we leave, Jesus, I pray that you would minister to our hearts and help us, Father God, to step away from those things that we've embraced actually maybe even touched on a few of them this morning that we've fallen for the lie we've given into the peer pressure we've been duped into believing things that are not at all what your word says Father we want to get away from that we want to repent from that we want to turn from that and come to you we want to stop embracing that and embrace you we want to stop living for that and start living for you. With every eye closed and head bowed, with every Christian praying in this place, and those of you watching from home, I want to ask you today. If you're thankful for God's patience in your life up to this point, and you realize that he's been patient with you, but today's your day, and you realize that it could be at any moment that the trumpet could sound, Jesus could come and catch up his church, and you don't want to be left behind, not only that, but you also don't want to just keep embracing all that stuff that's in the world today that's messing you up 
And today you want to repent and turn back to Jesus. Turn towards him. If that's you today, I want you to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I want Jesus in my life. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness, yes. I've lost count. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, there's eight or ten people that have raised their hand here today. We thank you for that. I want us to all pray this prayer out loud together. Whether you're saved or not, let's just pray it out loud. Say, Jesus, I believe in my heart you're God's son. And I confess with my mouth that you died for my sins. And I ask you to come in my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. I turn from my evil ways and I embrace you, Jesus, from this day on. And I thank you now that I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. Now, Holy Spirit, won't you fill each believer in this place, each one that has confessed, but also, Lord, for each one of us today, refill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us today to to go from this place, to move in your power and authority, and to, to embrace the things that are holy and righteous and pure, and to shun those things that are that are not of you, that are evil and wicked and destructive, that steal, kill, and destroy. We won't do that anymore. Today is our day, the first day of our lives with you, and we will not look back from this moment on. We will walk with you. We will talk with you. We will cling to you. We will embrace you. We will serve you. Holy Spirit, help us every day and in every way, every moment of every day, to honor Jesus Christ, to represent him well until you come and take us home, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. And all God's people said, Come on, let's give Him praise in this place. Would you do that? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Yeah. Now, for those of you who made that decision today, I know some of you are rededicating your lives. I get that. And some of you, maybe for the first time, those of you at home, if you don't have a Bible, come see me. Uh, We're going to show you guys all of us up here are going to show you. If you don't have a Bible, come up here and let us tell us. We're going to get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible from home, give us a call. Put it on the comments and we'll get you a Bible some way, somehow. But start reading about who this person is that you just invited into your heart. I would say the book of John would be a good one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. Find out who this lovely Savior is that you just invited into your life. i tell you another thing you could do. I think it's really good. Join a Life Together group where you can kind of get involved some people kind of in a smaller group and they can help disciple you along so that you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. Tell you what, you're being a disciple of somebody somewhere someone's discipling you. Did you know that? Either the world's discipling you, some of your friends that you've chosen are discipling you, and you see where that's led you. How about, no way, reject those things and let's let the Holy Spirit disciple us. Let's let the church of Jesus Christ disciple us. Let's let some brothers and sisters in the Lord disciple us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. How about it? Takes a little work, I know. Takes a little effort, a little sacrifice, a little dedication, but it's worth it. Anything is worth it that's worth doing, is it not? Yeah.